You're listening to America's Web Radio. It's time now for the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lintonello. Good morning, everybody. Um, we're high atop the Blue Ridge Mountains here at the Classic Car Show studio here, and I've got a frosty Dr. Pepper and ready to go, and Richard, you're down there in the volunteer state. Bongiorno, y'all. Bongiorno, y'all. You really get, you know, the colloquialisms are really coming to you down there, you know, you, you become a southerner in just a matter of months, man, that, that's really good. I'm I know, impressed. I have I haven't eaten grits yet, although I've had them in the past. But, uh, yeah, I'm just, you know, chock full of sweet tea, which I've always been. And, uh, yeah, loving the Southern lifestyle. The people are wonderful. They're friendly, courteous, kind. Uh, yeah, just a great place to live. Well, have, have you found a thicket yet? No, I still have no idea what a thicket is. I've never seen one. I probably never will. <laughs> But I did see a bunny rabbit in my yard, which is pretty cool. You know, I'm yeah. not seeing giant rats in Brooklyn, you know. Seeing a rabbit is much nicer. <laughs> Especially here at Easter, you know. Yeah. The, uh... <laughs> so, just a couple of quick quick announcements, uh, and not really formal announcements, but, you know, for, for those who have uh, been stuck inside and wanting to get out and go to a swap meet and go to a car show and uh, just have a full schedule for a couple of days. The Charlotte Auto Fair, which most people are unaware, um, the Charlotte Auto Fair is actually put together by volunteers from the uh, Antique Automobile Club of America, which is Hornet's Nest region down there in Charlotte. And uh, that's coming up on Thursday, April the 7th, and will run through Sunday, April the 10th at the uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. And it's going to be a great time. Uh, the entire inside field is covered with vendors, and there's some on the outside as well. And then, of course, the uh, there's museums nearby there and on-site. And then you'll also, on Saturday in the morning... You will have the AACA Southeastern Division National Show um, that will start. Eh, the cars start rolling in around 7 a.m. in the morning, but everybody has to be on the show field by 11 a.m. So if you want to see all the cars, you might want to get there a little before 11, say 10 to 11, and uh, the cars leave the field at 3 p.m. once judging has finished. So uh, that window there from 11 to 3, man, you get to see everything. And I understand Richard's even going to be there. We're both going to be there in the same place at the same time. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I, I've been there many years ago when I worked at Hemmings. We used to drive down, and uh, it's just a great event. It's nice seeing all the cars lined up inside the track on Sunday and all the car corral around the track. And, uh, you know, it's just a wonderful event. Uh, big swap meet, lots of parts. So come on down and meet us. You might find some cheap cars, and you might find some good tools cheap, but not cheap tools, which are bad. Yeah, cheap tools are bad. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so 
you got, there's several uh, events coming along, too, and I know a, the next one that Richard and I are going to be at is going to be the Greenbrier Concourse, and that's going to come uh, May 6th through 8th at the Greenbrier Resort over in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, and uh, it's going to be a great show, great event. Uh, Friday, they have a uh, uh, what's called the Summit Drive, where you go on these beautiful drives throughout the mountains. You can register for that still. Saturday, cars and coffee on the old white golf course up there. It's not to be missed. A lot of fun, a lot of variety. And then Sunday, the main event is the Concours. And I think Richard's even going to be judging at that Concours on Sunday, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. This be like the uh, third or fourth time at the Greenbrier, and What's nice about it is the very relaxing concourse. It's about a hundred cars, and best of all, it's free. There is no admission, unlike other concourses where you pay several hundred bucks to get in. Free, 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 and we all like free events. And it's rare to see a concourse of that caliber uh, for free admission. So come on down, folks. Yeah, I've been blessed to be part of this uh, steering committee there, and uh, we have always tried to seek out sponsors for the coverage of admission to try and encourage as many people as possible to come out and see the really spectacular cars that we have there on Sunday. So, yeah, you, you don't want to miss out on it. It's it's a great event. The other thing I wanted to mention, too, while we're at it is uh, check out our Facebook page. It's The Classic Car Show on Facebook. And, you know, post your events, post your car, check out what we're talking about. We'd love to have you there. So check out the Facebook page and join up. The other thing we have now, too, is you can email Richard and I now with questions, suggestions, what have you. Don't ask for any stock tips because you're not going to like what you get. Um, <laughs> at uh, classiccarshow.com. So, ClassicCarShow.com. Uh, Excuse me, ClassicCarShow at AmericasWebRadio.com. I'm sorry. Right. ClassicCarShow at AmericasWebRadio.com. I had a moment there. Well, we'll give you a pass. It is early in the morning, so we'll let it go. Yes. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> the, uh, so... We're going to talk about a few uh, restoration tips and... Then we're going to talk about maybe choosing a restoration shop. On the tip side, um, there are a host of things that you really need to be thinking about. Um, and number one on my list for restoration tips includes getting a project. So, you know, you really need to know what you want. You need to have a, a good reason for wanting to restore something. And it, because otherwise, it can be a tedious process. It's an enjoyable process. It's a great, great exercise. But if you're not really into it, it's probably not going to be as much fun for you. What do you think, Rich? Oh, I agree. You you got to <coughs> rebuild or restore the car that you've always wanted, something that just grabs you. Don't select the car to restore because you heard that these things are going up in value and you can make more money when it's done. Uh, that's the wrong approach. You will not be happy with the car because, you know, you 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 got to do what you like. Forget about the value. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of money invested in the restoration, but if you're looking 
at a restoration project as an investment, you're going to lose because it's a lot cheaper to buy a car that's already restored than it is to restore a car. But with that said, once you find the car of your dreams and you want to, and and you do buy it, uh, first thing you do, do not take it apart. Drive it, even if it's not registered or insured. Just drive it around your neighborhood. <laughs> You know, you know if, if if you're going to take it apart because you want to do a body-off, ground-up restoration, there's no need to get it registered and insured, but you still want to drive it a little to see what works, what doesn't. Does the differential whine? Does the gearbox, you know, third gear doesn't work? You know, make sure all the lights work, and you got to make a, a punch list to see everything that doesn't function on the car and what really needs repair before you tear into it and take it apart. So there's lots so, of, you know, ways to go about it, but you definitely don't want to just, you know, get the car home and boom, you start taking it apart. No, you, you've got to make a list of everything that, that, that doesn't work, that does work, uh, good or bad. You want to make a list of all the parts that are missing, you know, so you could start purchasing those parts during the restoration so you have them when you're ready to install them on the car. So there's a lot of pre-work that needs to be done before you tear into it. There is. And if, if you decide that you want a particular type of car, take some time to understand all the ins and outs of it. Read up on it. And Richard Dice often say, you know, join a club, and you hear so many people, oh, no, I'm not a joiner, blah, blah, blah. You know, even if you're not joining for the social aspect of it, which I think everybody gets, you know, brought you know, brought into, but you got to join because you want to find out more about the cars. You want to get more knowledge. You want to be able to contact people who have been there before you and done that, understand what's going on. The, the knowledge is the primary reason for joining the club. Yeah, I know we all have great friends in the clubs, various smart clubs, AACA and others, but joining is for knowledge as far as I'm concerned. That's the first step. And then read everything you can on the vehicle so that you know more about it, you know what its problems are, you know what to look for. You know, I had early on several 69 Mercury Cougars I quickly found that they all had the same issues. The same problems occurred time and time again. Um, you know, windows constantly, the window channel, it was the same issue with each one of them. So when you talk to people that own a car that you're interested in, they're going to know what the problems are, and you can look for those when you go to look for a vehicle. Uh, the other thing I would tell people, you know, we all get excited. We get starry-eyed. You know, you see that car, and it's for a price you can afford, and you just can't get the money out of your pocket fast enough. I'm going to tell you, exercise restraint. I know it's going to be hard, but go home and think about it. Unless the good deal is just, just way too too good to pass up, and occasionally we do get those, and you got to buy it. But whenever possible, try to restrain yourself. Think about it for 24 hours, making sure that you're making the right decision and that you're not just, you know, going on impulse. Um, take pictures, lots and lots of pictures. 
Yeah, label. I was going to say that. Yeah. Tons of photos. Tons. You know, you just don't want to take 20 photos of the exterior. You want to take, you know, every square inch of the car, open up the doors, photograph the door jams, the lock side, the hinge side. Same thing inside the trunk. Remove the mat, you know. But if you got to replace metal, you want to see how, you know, the original welding was done or the overspray or undercoating. Every little detail, get up underneath the car, shoot it, take a million photos. That's what you got to do. You got to document everything ahead of time. Oh, yeah. Once you feel like you've taken enough photos, take more. Because you can never have too many. You can easily have too few. You know, that's the way it was with me in the early days. I would take photographs, and like you said, Richard, you know, 20, 30, 40 photographs. I thought, well, gosh, it's a lot of pictures. Today, with cell phones, man, take as many as you possibly can. Like I said, you think you've taken too many? Take a few more. Yeah, and Um, get up close. You want to see some of the fasteners and things like that, you know, wiring, the way they're attached, the connectors which colors are in a row, and then, you know, put them all on, uh, make a folder on your computer or somewhere. you got to back them up so you don't lose them on your phone. So you want to back them up, you want to label them, and uh, you'll be surprised how in, how valuable those photos will be later on. May, may I uh, add something to this? Take the... Uh, interior sure. Take the interior photos, like your brake... Uh, pad your throttle and uh you know whatever else interior wise your upholstery obviously and uh take the pictures inside is important too and you know as you all started this for a novice i think a lot of us think oh restoration that's a paint job and (laughs) it's a whole lot more than a paint job isn't that the truth? So many times you read that or you hear from people, yeah, I, I totally restore the car. And then you look at it and you go, really? Those ball joints haven't been changed in 30 years. What are you talking about? It's like a paint job is not a restoration. A restoration is where you disassemble it down to the last nut and bolt and you reassemble. Now, that's a concourse restoration. And there's difference between a concourse or a street restoration. And you got to make that decision ahead of time. What level of quality do you want? Because it's going to matter. It's going to matter to your budget. And budget is time. Re- really important. Time as well. Gentlemen, we um, have to yeah, take a you break. You know, I see you're ready we're for on break. break. Okay, we'll go for We're break. <laughs> When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, so or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories get, that don't interest you? It gets a lot easier from the then very first time. Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories. The type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre-post-war era cars of distinction, including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family cars, too. discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Since the 1960s, J.C. Taylor has been America's premier specialty insurance provider. 
for classic cars, antique autos, modified, and custom vehicles. Our customers have trusted us to protect their prized possessions for more than six decades. For more information, or to receive a quote, contact our expert team today by calling 888-ANTIQUE, or by visiting our website at jctaylor.com slash awr, that's 888-268-4783, or visit jctaylor.com slash awr, drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. So, one thing I was thinking about you know, people want to get a good deal, and oftentimes you get a better deal. If the, if the car is not running, typically you get a better deal. Sometimes that's to your benefit, and sometimes it's to your detriment. Sometimes a non-runner is a great opportunity to pick up a good deal on a car. But it's generally speaking, if you're experienced, if, you, if you're a novice, don't really know a lot about these internal workings of the engine and you're not experienced in working on them and you're not experienced in checking them over I really discourage people buying a non-runner as their first project unless it's exactly that car you want something you've been looking for you're not going to find another one down the street um, then you might go ahead and go ahead and pay for it just go ahead and and of course if they're giving it away, if they're giving it away, that's another another story entirely. But, you know, talk to friends and people who are knowledgeable in restoration, people who have done this before. Again, can't overemphasize it. You need to talk to people who have been there, done that, who've gone through all of the issues, who've had the problems and uh have more experience so that then that way you take advantage of all the money, time and effort, blood and sweat, tears they've gone through. Um, wiring is a big thing too. You know, you want to make sure that you label it all. It's very crucial that you pay close attention to all of your wiring. There's nothing that's worse in my opinion. Now, Richard may feel differently, but there's nothing in my opinion that's any worse than trying to get in the middle of a job and not knowing where the wires are all supposed to go. Yes, I know you can get a wiring diagram, and that's great. The problem is it just takes time, and if you're not accustomed to doing it, it's really easy to make a mistake when you're putting the wiring back together. If you take photographs and have a wiring diagram, going to make that job a whole lot easier. 
and you'd be a whole lot less likely to set your car on fire when you turn the ignition key the first time. I know that happens with Richard's British cars, but that was by design. Well, it did happen several years ago. I, when I rebuilt my Triumph, I just crossed two wires into the uh, regulator. And sure enough, as soon as I turned the key, smoke started pouring out. And I ruined the brand-new wiring harness. So what I did was I just opened up the harness and replaced the wire and made sure that I triple-checked everything. So it, it can happen, you know. Uh, even though you do follow a wiring diagram or the shop manual, uh, sometimes it didn't make changes uh, on the production line. Or maybe the wire isn't correctly coded to the wiring diagram that you got. So you've got to be real careful. But but there's, there's also two different types of cars out there. Uh, let's say you have your heart set on uh, restoring a, let's say, an English Ford Cortina, okay? And this is well, your first choice. restoration. Yeah. And you say to yourself, gee, I always wanted a Cortina, and I'm going to do my first restoration. Well, keep in mind that you're not going to find parts in America for that thing. So you got to add that to your budget. And there's not many reproduction parts for a Ford Cortina. However, if to make things easy for your first restoration, maybe you want to do a catalog car. And those are the cars like Mustangs, Camaros, Chevelles, Corvettes. Those are the cars that you could just open up a catalog and you could get almost every single reproduction part available. And that makes your restoration project flow quicker and be so much easier for you. You won't be hunting down parts all around the world. You know, even if you go with a TR6 or an MGB, you know, we call those old catalog cars because there's catalogs available for all the parts because everything has been reproduced. Same thing with Cougars, you know, and some old pickup trucks. But stay away from obscure cars because you at least in the beginning because uh, finding parts is going to drive you crazy before you know it. You want to throw your hands up and get rid of the project. Oh, that's true. And you, you see that often, and it, it's pretty sad because you see the projects that people have invested a lot of time and effort into, and they end up stopping midstream, whether it be because they didn't budget things correctly, they got in over their head, uh, they didn't love the project enough, or, as you say, in, particularly with imports, if you can't find the parts, it becomes frustrating after after a while. You know, if you're continually waiting, 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 you know, it, you kind of lose the head of steam going into the project. And sadly, there's nothing that hurts the value of a vehicle, in my opinion, apart from a wreck or a fire, than having trying to sell one that's been partially restored and is disassembled whether it's the proverbial basket case or whether you just have it disassembled and you have the engine out and the transmission is here and engines there it's going to really seriously negatively affect the value so not only are you going to go through all the disappointment of not getting through your restoration but you're going to go through the heartbreak of getting hit in the wallet uh, it's going to be boom I lost half of my investment and uh, again you know and you know what else you got to consider which you know 
for my first restoration project, I didn't. And, you know, you live and learn. You've got to have space. You know, when you take a car apart, you now need space for two cars. Because all those body panels and the mechanical components and the interiors, all that stuff takes up space. So if you just have a one-car garage, it <laughs> it's going to be very difficult once you start taking that car apart if you decide to do a body-off, ground-up restoration. So uh, you got to have shelving so you could store the parts, and you got to have you know plastic tubs to put certain parts in, and everything's got to be labeled. So... You've got to have space. You've got to have the facility to do it. You also need, you know, certain tools. You don't, you may not think you need an air compressor, but you'll be surprised. Uh, even if you're not going to paint the car, you still need air in many cases. Uh, you know, a B-blast cabinet would be fabulous if you have the room and if you have the money to do that. Because as you take suspension parts off and brake parts, you know, you blast them and you prime them. And you got to have, you know, uh, fireproof cabinets to keep all your chemicals because a lot of chemicals are flammable. So there's a lot of things to consider, not just the restoration of the car, but but the uh, facilities where you're going to be working in. Make sure you have enough electricity, you have enough light, you have enough air circulating. Uh, so there's there's a lot out there. So, again, like Tom said, you know, Join the club, talk to people that went down that road, and before you dive into a project, make sure you got all your ducks in a row and that you could forge ahead without too many issues cropping up later on. Now, the the mention of having the proper workspaces is really a big deal. Now, of course, you know, you hear these guys out there that say, you know, I restored this it took me 10 years i did it in a single car garage it's sort of like hearing your parents you know ah we used to walk 10 miles to go to school in snow drifts that were 10 feet deep and but we did it because we liked it and that's the way it was and it was fun and uh you'll hear the same sorts of stories with the person with a one car garage I can tell you, it's not that fun. It's the very first garage that I I had that was, uh, you know, mine per se, and not not my parents' garage. It, it was fairly old and it was fairly small, and there was nothing worse. A couple of issues that occurred. At one time, I had something that was hanging on the wall. I mean, it's only a foot on either, a couple feet on either side of the car. Fell off the wall. And put a huge dent in another otherwise perfect door. I was just totally devastated. And then I had bought a replacement. It was a 50. All right. I'm going to say it. It was a Hudson. Okay. I know everybody's shocked. <laughs> <laughs> the 57 Hudson Hornet, the last of the breed and yeah, very rare. The front windshield glass, particularly all the front and rear glass is rare on those and I had a cracked windshield oh, thankfully I was able to locate a spare windshield I, I had it set up on the shelf I had it um, actually nailed some wood across the front to keep it from uh, falling or moving you know had it protected or so I thought until the cat got in the garage and the cat got in the garage jumped up on another shelf 
knocked over a jar of bolts that sort of ricocheted everywhere, just like an explosion. And don't you know that one of the bolts in that clipped the edge of that windshield and sent a crack all the way across it? I mean, I was just totally beside myself. Um, so, you know, workspace is important because not only are you going to be cramped and uncomfortable working in there and have a hard time keeping up with everything, but you can destroy stuff. Take it from me. I know. Um, it, it's a problem. Um, time. Richard mentioned tools. You know, we, we joke a lot about cheap tools are bad. And I can tell you, cheap tools are bad. Uh, don't think that, you know, you're going to get through a restoration with tools that you bought at the Dollar General. It's not going to happen. I'm, I'm sorry. I hate to break it to you. But the Dollar General is not the place to buy tools. I know a lot of us have, over the years, a lot of us used Let's Craftsman and other brands. You know, I think we're on a break. We're going to a break, yes. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind jc taylor and now back to the classic car show on america's web radio with tom cox and richard lentinello one thing i was thinking about while we were on break and it again i it's the most important thing we can convey to any of you, and that is always think about fire protection. You know, always have a fire extinguisher accessible to you. If that means that you're working in a fairly tight space or a large space, your requirements for having fire extinguishers and their locations are going to be different because you're going to want to be able to get to a fire extinguisher pretty quickly. It's mm-hmm. Richard's 
said when he turned that key on his triumph. <laughs> that fire could have started very quickly. It doesn't take but a minute to catch everything on fire. And if you're already in a garage that has flammable materials and you're working on something that has gas in the tank, you know, you need to be careful and you need to think about fire protection because all too often there's an issue. You think everything is fine and then bam, all of a sudden you've got this major fire going on and, uh, you know, people have lost lives. You know, so it, it really is a problem. Do a survey of your garage area and, you know, oily rags. Don't keep those things just bunched up in a box somewhere. Buy a can to keep the oily rags in. Anything that could potentially start a fire, be careful of. Over the years, time and time again, so many people that I know of, and I'm not kidding, there, there are literally dozens of people that I personally know of who park their car in the garage after driving or after running it, if they're restoring it or working on it, then they turn it off and they walk away. They don't disconnect the battery. They they don't check to make sure that there's nothing against a warm manifold or there's not gasoline still dripping on a hot manifold. A lot of garages have burned down, and, and many, many cars have been lost. So I'm not trying to be Mr. Doom and Gloom and be paranoid here, but you really need to think about it because it only takes one time, one mistake. You lose yeah. it all, and potentially your life, too. And like you say on the subject of safety, uh, besides a good array of quality tools, you need lots of gloves, whether they're latex gloves or, you know, regular uh, fabric gloves. You need eye protection, goggles. You need masks, different types of masks, because even if you're just going to use spray bombs to paint a part or two, you got to protect yourself because you don't want to inhale chemicals. So, uh, you know, you got to have all that safety stuff. But, you know, once you decide to restore a car, and let's say you want to do a body-off restoration, uh, what you need to do is, before you start tearing things apart, spray all the nuts and bolts with a uh, lubricant that, you know, like PB Blaster or Liquid Wrench. Uh, spray everything because I let things soak for a day or two. And it'd be a lot easier once you start taking things apart. And you need to have all these, you know, like uh, old Tupperware or, you know, plastic tubs. You got to put different components in different tubs and you got to label those tubs so you could clearly see what's in them as you take things apart. And it's also good to photograph things as you're taking them apart. So you want to do that. You want to label everything, store everything. And, you know, let's face it, not everybody is going to have the wherewithal or the experience or knowledge or even the desire to paint the car. So uh, when you restore a car, it doesn't mean you have to do everything. You could be like a subcontractor who builds a house. You know, you hire different people to do different things. You're going to hire an upholstery guy to reupholster the seats to install the top. You're obviously going to have platers, you know, due to chrome plating. And same thing with the... Uh, you know, the body. Uh, for my Triumph TR3, I had a shop, uh, Macy's Garage in Ohio, rebuild the body for me. And then I retrieved it, and then I took it home, and I, you know, did some final prep, and then I did all my own priming and things like that. 
And then you could bring it to a local shop nearby and you could have them painted. And then once you, you know, uh, you could focus on the painting of suspension components or things like that. Uh, transmission, obviously most of us can't rebuild the transmission, so you could c- contract that out to a transmission specialist. Same thing with the engine. You could either do the engine yourself or, you know, have an engine shop do it. But uh, don't think that you have to do every single aspect of the restoration. You don't. Sometimes you just want to be a contractor and do have different shops and different specialists do different things, and you can put the whole thing together, and, and that's the most enjoyable part. No, that's a that's a great point, and and I think the, the, well, of course these days you find we have fewer and fewer machine shops, and there are fewer and fewer specialty shops handling all of these uh, various items. Part of the reason more modern vehicles they they last longer just in general the engines run you know and it's not only the machining and the precision that goes into the manufacturing of today's modern engines but you know it's the fuel control all of those things that reduce the wear better lubricants etc cetera, etc cetera. so they just last longer and so when you've got cars that are running 200,000 miles easy if they're properly maintained you don't need as many engine rebuilders out there and so they tend to get backed up you want to schedule things out so that you know you're ahead of the game rather than doing a whole lot of other things up front take into account the fact that you know the platers, the engine rebuilders, transmission rebuilders, all those people, as Richard said, that you might subcontract the work out to, they're going to be backed up these days, and they're probably more backed up now than they were, say, 10 years ago. The other thing is you want to be wary of who you're taking your parts to, whether it be uh, bumpers or pop metal for replating, or whether it's you taking an engine in to have it rebuilt, try to talk to friends who have used these same companies before. And recently, you know, don't talk to somebody who used Joe's engine rebuilding five years ago. Try to find someone that, hey, just got an engine from Joe last year, and it's it's great. That's what you want to know. You, you ask around... But if it's not current and it's not up to date, there, uh, there's a lot of churn frequently in the employees of a lot of body shops and a lot of other shops as well. Um, every once in a while you find a place that, you know, the same people have been working there for 25 or 30 years. But still, even if they've been doing that, you'll want to have it checked out. You'll want to know that you're taking your pride and joy to someone who's going to show the proper respect and not lose parts. You know, if you're dealing with vintage vehicles and or imports, as Richard was talking about earlier, parts are an issue. You can get the parts. I don't want to scare anybody away. I've never had a situation where I could not source a part for any anything I'm working on. Um, there, where there's a will, there's a way. You're going to get what you need. But I also had a friend send a complete, Fleet set of pot metal off of a 55 Chevy Nomad wagon out to a very established plating company. But they had had a lot of change in personnel that year. Well, 
everybody had had great results from this plating company. But then my friend got his parts back. They wouldn't even fit back on the car. I saw uh, it was just a matter of inexperienced personnel working with his parts. And, you know, you just can't afford to, to do that, but particularly with something like he had. You know, he had a, uh, the rear window frame on those is very fussy, and they, they messed it up. He had to find another one, which, which took a little bit of time, and it was expensive as well. Could I uh, interrupt you know, one more time and just throw out one other thing, and that's get it in writing. Uh, I speak from experience on that. Be sure that you, whatever you're going to do, whatever you're going to have somebody else do, that you've got it in writing. They've given you a quote, and hold them to the quote. True. That's so true. Now, let's say you're about to begin the restoration of your car. So what steps should you take first? Well, first thing is to replace any, you know, corroded metal. If you're restoring a car that has a separate body and chassis, do not take the body off the chassis until you get all the welding and replacement of, you know, body panels done first. Because you want to use your frame as as the uh, body jig, you know, once you take the body off the frame, it starts twisting and bending, and you, once you weld new panels on, nothing's going to fit. So do all your welding or have it done with the body on the frame. Once that's done, then you can remove the frame, the body from the frame. You know, you take the doors off and, and, and put some wood in between so uh, the body doesn't, you know, shift or collapse or, you know, bend. So once the body is off, then you start working on the chassis, the suspension, and the brakes and all that stuff. Don't rebuild the engine first. Leave the engine for last because you don't want the engine to be rebuilt and have it sit in your garage for the next five years. And before you know it, you know, uh, all the cylinders are going to start getting a coating of rust on it. And the valve seats are going to, you know, there's going to be some rust there and corrosion. So leave the engine for last. Uh, you want to focus on the chassis and rebuilding that. And then once it's painted, once the car is painted, what you should do is let it sit for a couple of weeks. Because uh, if you're going to do the painting yourself, primer shrinks. So you don't want to paint the car you know, two minutes after you prime it. All that stuff you see on TV where they restore a car in 72 hours, don't believe it. <laughs> There's a lot of major issues that happens when you do that. You know, primers and paints, they all dry over a period of time, even if you add hardener. And what happens is they shrink a little in many cases. So you got to allow for all that drying time and shrinkage and you just can't rush a quality restoration if you want to do it right. So, you know, you got to take your time. And another thing, when you're buying parts, if, if, if you see, you know, one of the manufacturers or the part suppliers uh, is going to issue, let's say, uh, competition leaf springs, and that's what you want, well, go ahead and buy it because it doesn't mean that that supplier is going to have, you know, 10,000 sets made. So you want to make sure that you have parts, available for when you need them now the one parts you don't want to buy ahead of time are rubber parts 
because let's say you start restoring your car and the restoration is going to take five, six, eight, ten years. By the time you get around to those parts ten years later, the rubber is going to deteriorate due to dry rot. So the rubber right components, time. weather stripping, wait till the end. Okay, break okay, time. Okay, break time. Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. Veteran-owned, America's Web Radio would like to thank all of our incredible patrons. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you are not already a patron, you can help us continue to produce some of the most informative and entertaining shows on the Internet by becoming a patron. Patrons of America's Web Radio are the first to receive information about new shows and links to the latest podcast episodes. Join now and receive a free gift while supplies last. For more information and to join our family, please visit www.patreon.com slash America's Web Radio. If you have questions, contact us at gm at americaswebradio.com. And as always, thank you for listening. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. And now, back to the classic car show on America's Web Radio with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello. All right. So, you know, Richard made a great point, you know, in terms of, you know, restore having your engine rebuilt and then having it just sit. One, make sure that if you do have it or you buy a project that's already been done, you know, two things. Make sure that it's in an area that you don't have a lot of condensation. The less the change in temperature, the better off you're going to be as well. So if you have it in an area that the temperature is stable in, you're not going to get the sweating and the condensation forming on the inside of that engine that you would get otherwise. So you want to keep it in an area where little temperature fluctuation, where it's dry, low humidity. The other thing to think about is engine fogging oil. A lot of people don't think to use that. Uh, you can yeah. buy it just about anywhere, and you just put the put the straw on there, pull your plugs out, spray it liberally in all the cylinders, and that fogging oil will do a lot to protect the internal working parts of the engine and keep that corrosion down. Um, it, it's just great stuff. Um, yeah. Now, one thing I've used it. You, yeah. 
it's it's great. It makes you feel better to it. You don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking, "Oh God, you know, there's corrosion going on in my engine." You, know, you sleep well at night, not worrying about it. It's a cheap investment. <laughs> yep, <laughs> the, it is. It so, is. I've used it. Yep. So, I know we went we went a little long in some of our other discussion. But there are going to be those of you who want to go out, as Richard said, and get a Concours-style restoration, and you're going to want to choose the proper shop to do your restoration. Then they will do everything from A to Z, and I think that's just probably going to warrant further discussion on future shows. But you're really going to need to do your homework when you choose a restoration shop. There are a lot of great restoration shops out there, and great craftsmen. Um, you know, judging for as many years as I have, you get to see the work that these people do. It's absolutely amazing. But you want to get those people. You don't want to make a mistake as a novice and go to Billy Bob's restoration. Um, I had a friend of mine whose name I won't mention. He has a 69 Buick Deuce and a Quarter convertible decided he wanted to have it restored, took it to a guy, and I could not believe what was done to that car. It was unbelievable. Um, the panels were warped. There was actually there were actually grinding marks on the door handles. Brand new replated door handles and they ended up with grinding marks on them. It's just insane. And so it, it really it's going to save you a ton of money, and you're going to spend a lot of money for a complete concourse frame-off restoration. You need to do your homework. The other thing to think about, too, is and something that David mentioned earlier. Try to get things in writing. I realize that, you know, things are going to go over. You know, whatever your estimate is, I'd always plan for more because it always seems to run in that direction. You know, have it in writing, and, you know, I've Unfortunately, over the years, I've had a number of calls from people who have said, you know, what can I do? I, I took my car in for a restoration. They told me it was going to be, let's say, $75,000. And we've already hit seventy-five, dollars and, and we're continuing to go, and I don't have the money anymore to do this. I don't have the money to complete it, and now they're going to take my car. Uh, because they're going to exercise mechanics lean on it. And quite seriously, this has happened at least three or four times where people have called me. Now, grant you, two times that it occurred came out of the same shop. So you saw a pattern going on there, unfortunately. Those do exist. Most of the restoration shops are professionals. They're great people. Um, but I, I think we could probably talk further about that in, in future episodes. Um, yeah, you know, uh, a restoration shop is not an auto body shop. It's not a collision shop. They do they specialize in restoration, so it's it's two different worlds. Now, I'm I'm a big proponent for specialists. Let's say you have a you know let's say you have a Triumph, right, or a Sunbeam, whatever. Uh, take it to a shop who specializes in those particular cars. You don't want to take, you know, an MG to a guy who specializes in Mustangs because not only is he not familiar with your car, and let's say he's charging you at an hourly rate, 
he's going to be learning on your car. And it's going to take him so much longer to do things because he's never done it before. So you're going to pay way more money in the long run. So uh, there are shops that specialize in just Triumphs. There are shops that specialize only in Corvettes. Uh, shops that specialize only in Packards. So the best thing to do is to take it to a shop that specializes in your make of automobile because they've done it so many times before the restoration is not only going to be quicker and it's going to be less expensive in the long run but it's going to be done right and that's what you want it you want it to be done right they know how to install the glass the proper way they know how to install the wiring harness the proper way they know how to install the rocker panels because they may have special jigs because they've done your particular car many times before so specialist shops are the way to go. Just because the guy said, you know, we restore all kinds of cars, well, yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> don't believe them because there are so many di- different types of cars. You know, Mopars are different than Fords, and they're different than, you know, Studebakers and Hudsons and GMs. So stick with the guy who's a specialist in that particular brand of car or line of automobiles, and you'll be surprised that... Uh, you know, you'll get a better end result. However, don't, again, don't listen to what you see on TV. Don't believe it. Many restoration shops work two, three years ahead, so you got to book yourselves now. It's a long process to restore a car. It doesn't happen in 72 hours like these useless TV shows show you. It just doesn't happen that way. There is so much involved. So, uh, you know, again, do your homework. Join the club. Talk to people to find out which shops are the best, which ones to avoid, and then you'll have a much better restoration in the end. Boy, I'm so glad that the TV show I was involved with uh, wasn't a restoration shop. I'd be feeling kind of useless. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's amazing that they're always always rushing. They're always rushing. Oh, we've got to get this done in six more hours. And... You know, the car owner is going to be here in three hours. Meanwhile, the car's still in pieces. Well, how could you put a car together in three hours? Come on, you can't. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And they're, they're, you know, dragging into the shop at 3 a.m. after a two-day bender, you know, and they're going to lay down something that looks like glass. Yeah, no, it it isn't going to happen. So I know everybody is waiting. And people are waiting at home. I know they're disappointed. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, there's no pick of the week this week. And uh, here we are uh, coming up at the uh, top, close on to the top of the hour, and no pick of the week. We do have a pick of the week this week, and it's a an unusual pick of the week. Uh, unusual because, well, I, as Richard said when we were talking, yeah, those, those still exist. And it's a 1977 Datsun B210. And for anybody that knows those, they rusted like crazy. They did. They never exist up north. I mean, you just sweep them up and and put them in the landfill. But uh, this car is a down south. It's a solid car. It does need work. Needs some paint work. But you know what? It's complete. It runs. I think it needs a gas tank couple of other things but above all it's solid it's got the uh, i think it's a either a 1.3 or 1.4 
um, they offered both of those engines in the B210, uh, that four-cylinder engine. It first came out in 1973, ran through 1978, and, uh, you know, coming out in 73 was just a gold mine for them because it was the height of the gas crunch. Um, you know, when they had all the long gas lines, the oil embargo, uh, and this thing delivered, I, I was, it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 38 to 42 miles to the gallon, if memory serves me correctly. Um, four speed transmission, uh, this particular car, it's like an aqua with a black interior. You know, I think just about, 80% of those cars had black interior. I don't know why, um, but every time you see them, they have a black interior. But, um, you know, it's, a, I think, a really unusual, great car to have. You're not going to see a lot of them um, out there. And only 1500 bucks. 1500 wow. bucks. That's, that's just a heck of a deal for, for a project car. And, and one that runs, too. Um, and and it, they were very rugged. Those engines last a long time, mechanicals. And, and older Japanese cars are really coming into their own. People are starting to appreciate them for what they were. So uh, there's a big following, especially, I know, on the West Coast. So uh, restoring an old Japanese car could be a lot of fun. Go for it. going to probably be a little bit more challenging to do a B210 than it would be to do a uh, Z car or something else, but, you know, the parts are out there. As I said earlier, if you just keep looking and you're patient and you do your homework ahead of time, uh, as I've said, you know, I deal with a lot of obscure stuff, Grams and Hudsons and Nashes. Now, I have Fords and that sort of stuff, too, but I deal with some obscure stuff. Um, My uh, 48 Nash Ambassador... Hard to find parts for, but you can always get it. And just like Richard says, get off the couch and get in the garage, right? And yeah, we, don't waste your time watching TV. Do and we got to wrap it up. Nice. <laughs> we got to wrap it up. All right, folks. Thanks, thanks again. We'll see you next week. Thanks a bunch. See you soon. Take care. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.